with that in mind, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 25 will be in 19 down through verse number 24, and we'll read every other verse together. Uh, it's called responsive reading. I'll begin in 19. We'll begin together. We'll read. I'll, we'll read together in verse 20, and then uh, continue, continue in that pattern down through verse number 24. The Bible says in verse 19, after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh. And reckoneth with them. Together, verse 20. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then he which had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. The title of the message this morning is our final installment in our series of Faithful Steward. And the title of the message is this, The Measurement of a Steward. One day, we will all stand before God and we will be measured against what He's given us. And how will that go? And so that's the idea of the sermon this morning. Let's pray. Lord, my voice is a little tired from having already preached with great passion at 8.30. And Lord, I'm tripping over my words a little bit, so Lord, give me clarity of mind and speech. Lord, speak through me. May my tongue be your tongue. But Lord, may the ears of those sitting in this room and those watching online, may their ears be your ears. May they listen and retain what you have for them. Lord, may this message go well beyond the head and reach down into our heart. Or may it fundamentally change the areas in us that are broken. Lord, help us to leave here today with a greater commitment to you. Lord, I do pray for those this morning that are amongst us that have not yet put their full faith and trust in Christ to be their Savior. May the message also encourage them to do that, Lord, before it's eternally too late. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this is the fourth and final message in our stewardship series, and I hope that each message has challenged you to live your life in its entirety for Jesus. Uh, Topically, we have looked at the meaning of stewardship. We've looked at the mindset of a steward. Last week, we talked in great detail about the management of a steward. And this morning, I'd like for us to focus on this topic of the measurement, the measurement of a steward. As we have laid out all series long, when God saved you, He assumed ownership of everything that you have, every relationship, every thought, every material item, and every dollar bill that you earn, that you save, and that you spend. He even assumed control over your body, or ownership over your body. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us, What? Know ye not that your body 
is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Why? Verse 20 says, for ye are bought with a price. That's what happened when you got saved. He bought you with a price. The price was the cross. So everything I have, including my very being, belongs to the Lord. And we are to use those things uh, for His glory. One day, listen closely, we will be judged. God Almighty. We will be judged for how we used these things. How we used our body. How we used every relationship. How we used them for His glory. I want to begin the message this morning foundationally, fundamentally, by explaining to you that one day God, our great judge, will hold in heaven two different judgments. There will be two judgments where God will judge um, the, 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 the citizens of this world. And I'd like for us to begin by way of introduction by looking at the final judgment, the last judgment. The final judgment will be the sinner's Judgment. Those who died still in their sin. Now, notice the distinction here. These people will be judged on the merit of their salvation, not on the merit of their service. They will be judged on whether or not they were saved, not whether or not they did good works. That's very important to understand. Turn over to Revelation chapter number 20 and verse number 14 and 15. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14 and 15. Because of the hour, I will begin reading right away. And if you're new to the Bible or still learning your way around the Bible, I would encourage you not to flip, but just to sit and listen. The Bible says in verse 14, it says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Pay very close attention to verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If your name is not found in the book of life, one day God will take you and throw you into the lake of fire. Oh, that's not popular to preach, but that is just as much in the Bible as all the fun stuff that the candy-giving preachers like to preach. Turn over to Revelation chapter 21 and verse 23. How do you get your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Now, the Lamb is Jesus. He was slain, the Bible says, before the foundations of the world. The Bible calls Him the Lamb of God. And He died on the cross to die for the sin of man. And through our trust and faith in Jesus Christ alone as our sacrifice, as the one who suffered for our sin, by faith in Christ alone, we can have our names written in the Lamb's book of life. Look at verse 23. We see here a description of the new Jerusalem. The Bible says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb, speaking of Jesus, is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are rescued, which are saved, shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day. For there shall be no night there, and there shall uh, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, and there shall in no wise look here enter into it any 
thing that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. Look here. But they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's going to be a judgment one day where those who die in their sin, those who die without the forgiveness of Christ, they will stand before God one day and He will judge them. Uh, many people say, I want God to judge me based on the works of my life. My friend, you do not want God to judge you on the works of your life. I've had many people say to me, Pastor Lejeune, I'm going to heaven because I am a good person. And I would say that while you maybe are, are uh, while it might be true that you've done some good things in your life, you've also committed a, 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 a lion's share, an insurmountable amount of, of crimes against God in heaven. You have broken His moral law and one day you will stand before Him and He will judge you on your sin. And if you've not been forgiven of those sins, He will have an angel take you and cast you into the pit of hell. People say, well, what about my works? Turn over to Matthew chapter number 7. You see, people will try to mention their service at this judgment and, and the Lord will hear nothing of it. You see, because this judgment is not about your service. This judgment of the lost, this sinner's judgment, is about salvation. And if you've not been saved, my friend, that's all that will matter at that day. In fact, Jesus tells us that at this last judgment, people will bring up their service and God will just outright dismiss it. Look at Matthew chapter 7, look at verse number 21. The Bible says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, look at the works here they mention. Have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many marvelous works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Boy, they're going to point out their good works and Jesus is going to look at them and say, it's not about your service, it's about your sin. It's about the fact that your sin was never forgiven. It's about the fact that you never came to the cross and bent a knee and trusted my son. And I'm not talking about bending a physical knee. I'm talking about a, a, a spirit of a bent knee. I'm talking about a humble heart where you bow your head and you call out to the Lord and say, I'm a sinner and I deserve to suffer because of my, uh, uh, my sin, my breaking of the moral law. Jesus Christ, I know that you died for me. Jesus Christ, I know that you suffered in my place. Jesus Christ, I believe that You are the only way to heaven. Boy, you do that. You have a time in your life where you've done that. There's an angel in heaven that takes a pen and he opens up a large book called the Lamb's Book of Life and he writes your name in it. And if your name is in that book, you will not stand before God at this judgment. You will not stand before God at this judgment. No, I believe you'll sit in the grandstands and I believe you'll witness those that uh, did not have their name in the Lamb's Book of Life. This last judgment is for sinners. This, this final judgment is the sinner's judgment. But Christian, those of you that have your name written in the book of life, please understand that the first judgment will be the saint's judgment. The first judgment will be the saint's judgment. And notice here that us Christians will not be judged on our salvation. We will be judged on our service. Notice the difference. The, the final judgment is the sinner's judgment where they are judged on their salvation, not their service. The first judgment is the saint's judgment and we will be judged on our service, not on our salvation. 
Let me read for you 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And if you could, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Please, if you're able to, quickly turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Let me read for you 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. Please listen while you turn. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, keep in mind that Paul is writing this to saints in Corinth. Christians in Corinth, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Notice here, we're going to be judged on our service, whether it was good service or bad service. The service done through our body. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 11. Boy, what I'm covering this morning is paramount to the foundation of the message we'll get in in Matthew 25. Look at 1 Corinthians 3. It says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work, of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, that the wood, hay, and stubble being burned, he shall suffer loss. This is important. Look at the rest of the verse. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Yet so as by fire. Any man who does not put uh, their faith and trust in Christ, they will not stand at this judgment. For, but for the saved, we will bring our service to the Lord. And listen, you're either busy right now serving your own kingdom and building your own kingdom, or you're busy serving God and building His kingdom. You're building one kingdom or the other. Some try to do both, and I'm going to tell you right now that if you're trying to build both kingdoms at the same time, neither one is going to look very good. We're either all in on building the Lord's kingdom, or we're all in on building our own kingdom. And we if you bring the works of building your own kingdom to heaven, they're going to burn up in a fire. If you bring the works of building the Lord's kingdom, they're going to be gold, silver, and precious stones, and the fire will do nothing but refine them. But make it very clear that this judgment has nothing to do with salvation. Verse number 13, or rather verse number 11 of this passage says that our foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. Another way to sum this up, if I could this morning, uh, before, I, uh, before I, I share this, uh, let me just add this here. You can not lose your salvation. Cannot. Once you are saved, you are always saved. And if you want to take the approach that you can lose your salvation, boy, you've got to do some, some uh, 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 hermeneutic gymnastics to get around verse number 15, where it says that this man it will be saved yet as by fire. He will be saved. Boy, he'll have nothing to show for it, but he will get in by the skin of his teeth. If I could sum up my introduction this morning in just a couple of phrases, another way to sum this up, that, that final judgment, that last judgment, the loss will be asked at their judgment this question, what did you do with Jesus? One day, my friend, you may think that this is all a joke. You may think this is funny. You may think that there is no God. You may go forth and live your life accordingly. You may mock. You may make fun of. You may make it, take His name in vain. But one day, you will stand before God Almighty. You will answer Him all by yourself. And He's going to look at you. And He's going to ask you one question. My son died for you. What did you do with Jesus? But for the saved, it's going to be a different question. You see, at our judgment, saved, 
The question is going to be asked of you this. What did you do for Jesus? What did you do for Jesus? Did you serve your Savior? And you know what? You won't be able to pull the wool over God's eyes. Because He knows everything. And He's going to take your works. He's going to turn them into material items. And those material items may look like gold, silver, and precious stone. But if they're wood, hay, and stubble, they're going to be burned up and you're going to be handed a pile of ashes. You serve the Lord with your life. All the service of the Lord that you did is going to be turned into gold, silver, and precious stone. And that fire will do nothing but refine it. I propose that each Christian must get busy doing the work that God has called him or her to do. Make no mistake about it, Judgment Day is coming. Judgment Day is coming. We, Christians, will give an account of our stewardship. Let us one day stand before God with joy and not with shame. Boy, one day God is either going to look at you, Christian, and He's going to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Or He's going to look at you and He's going to call you a wicked and slothful servant. There is no middle ground. You're either going to be a good and faithful servant in His sight, or a wicked and slothful servant in His sight. God doesn't like lukewarmness. You don't understand that truth. Go read Revelation chapter 2. I would that thou wert hot or cold, not lukewarm. Alright? We can't build both kingdoms. We're either all in for the Lord or all in for ourselves. I don't know about you, but I would like God to look at me and say, with a smile on His face and a gleam in His eye, good and faithful servant. How many are with me this morning? How many want that? I sure would hate to stand with God one-on-one and have Him look at me and say, you were a wicked and slothful servant. Well, I'm afraid many Christians in America, that's exactly what they're going to hear. That's exactly what they're going to hear. My friend, uh, I'm not the most oratorical preacher you'll ever hear. There are people that could take my outline even and preach it in a way where they could wax eloquent better than I can. But I'm going to tell you right now that this is the best I've got. And I'm going to try to give you a wake-up call this morning. To those of you that are saved, to get off uh, your ease in Zion and get busy serving the Lord. Because the day's coming soon where He will rapture us and or He'll take us in death and our work here will be done. We're going to look at three truths as we consider one last thought on being a faithful steward. And notice this morning the measurement of a steward. If you received a bulletin on your way in this morning on the back, uh, we have a fill-in-the-blank outline. I encourage you to take a pen and uh, take notes as we go along here. If I say something that isn't on here that's an encouragement to you, jot it down. All right, number one, notice the parallels in the parable. The parallels in the parable. Now, let me take a break from the seriousness of this and... um, i uh, just talk to you here for a minute uh, to kind of preface what I'm about to say. Throughout this series, I have stated that I strongly believe that this parable in Matthew 25, 14 through 30, I strongly believe that this is a parable written to the church. And uh, this week, I had a gracious, loving church member 
push back on that statement, that premise. And so um, uh, I had already studied it in depth and formed that opinion after a whole lot of reading and studying and praying, but I decided to take the critique and do a little bit more reading and praying and studying and digging. And so I did that, and then I also got, on the, uh, got with a very good friend of mine who knows the Bible very well and talked with him about it. And this friend of mine also does not believe that this is a parable to the church. And so I just want to say this, that I still haven't changed my mind. Amen? Um, I might be wrong. This is my opinion. And I want to make sure I state up front that my opinion is that this parable is written to the church. But in, in church, with the Bible, uh, there is a little bit of wiggle room for disagreement. And I will say this, even if you don't agree with my interpretation this morning... I believe that all of us can agree with the applications this morning. And I'm going to push everyone here to be more devoted to Christ. Now, how many believe we should all be more devoted to Christ? Would you raise your hand for me? And so if you walk out here and say, I just don't think Pastor Desjern's got the right interpretation of Matthew 25, 14 through 30, you be gracious toward me, I'll be gracious toward you. Hey, look, only one of us is right, and we'll figure that out in heaven. And then if you disagree with me, you can come apologize to me there. Amen? All right, maybe I'll be the one doing the apologizing. We'll, we'll find out. All right, uh, so uh, let's look here, and I'm going to pause. Look with me at Matthew 25. And uh, I'm going to pause occasionally and give you what I believe is the parallel uh, here in the parable. All right, so look at verse 14. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man. And in my notes I have scribbled to the side that that man is Jesus. All right? As a man traveling into a far country. Next to traveling into a far country, I have heaven. That this man travels into a far country. Okay? Look here. Who called his own servants. Who are the servants of Jesus? Well, they're the redeemed. They're those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus. And so uh, we... Um, uh, we believe that uh, that Jesus died for us, and if we put our faith and trust in Him, He has saved us, and because He has saved us, we are to serve Him. We are His servants. All right, let's keep reading here. And delivered unto them His goods, and unto one He gave five talents. Now, what is a talent? Uh, in the Bible, a talent was a measurement of weight. It was a measurement of weight. And it was a measurement of weight, in this particular idea, of money. It was the heaviest Possible, valuable money. And so he gives a, a lot of weight, a lot of responsibility, a lot of wealth to this uh, servant of his to steward and invest and make a profit on. And one day he's going to come back and he's going to evaluate this man's effort. Now, uh, uh, notice here that uh, I, I believe that this five-talent servant represents a Christian who has had many years of being saved and a Christian with many abilities and gifts. Many abilities and gifts. This is someone who has many talents. This is someone who has and talents in the sense of uh, talent, how we would use it, uh, a very, a very uh, uh, able person. Maybe they can sing well, or maybe they're athletic, or maybe they have a, 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 an ability to speak well, and uh, they're, they're a good teacher. They don't explain things. And so uh, someone with abilities and someone with gifts, these are gifts that are given to us when we get saved. Please understand the difference between abilities or talents and gifts. Abilities and talents you're born with. Gifts are given to you when you get saved. 
There's spiritual gifts you get when you get saved. And you know what? God gives some Christians more spiritual gifts than He gives others. God gives some Christians more abilities than He does others. And so there are some who have a greater amount of responsibility. Now, notice here that um, as we get more responsibility, there is also more accountability. How many understand this idea? Responsibility leads to accountability. I remember being 14 and 15 years old, and I got my driver's permit when I was 14 years old in the state of Alabama. I've been driving since I was 14 years old. And I remember wanting to get my driver's license and uh, talking to my parents about getting my driver's license. And my dad said, look, you get your driver's license, and I give you the keys to my car. And he said this, with great responsibility comes great accountability. You all understand the idea here? Someone who hangs their head and says, well, I'm just not a five-talent Christian and God just doesn't love me as much. Please understand, to those who are five-talent Christians, God expects a whole lot more out of them on Judgment Day than He's going to expect out of you. To whom, quote it with me if you know it, to whom much is given, much shall be required. Boy, God's going to hold some people to a higher standard on Judgment Day than others. Look back at the verse there. Five talent, uh, one he gives five talents, and the Bible says unto another two. And I have this in my notes. And again, this is my opinion. You're, you're welcome to disagree here. A Christian with an average time of salvation, with average abilities and gifts. So this is someone who is saved an average amount of time. Someone who God gives an average set of abilities. And someone who gives an average set of spiritual gifts. And to another one, a Christian with little time of salvation and below average abilities and gifts. And there might be some of you in here that would consider yourself a one talent Christian. You you are below average in some areas and you, you feel as though God has not equipped you and gifted you to do things that even the average person can do. And I would say to you, in some ways you're blessed because God is going to expect less on Judgment Day. To every man according to his several abilities. And look look at the rest of the verse here. And straightway took his journey. Now, the parallel I have here is that this is Jesus ascending into heaven. So a man travels into a far country. He gives out uh, abilities and things to different folks. And then he heads into a far country. He takes his journey. What is that? That's Jesus ascending into heaven, in my, in my, in my opinion, in my uh, viewpoint of the passage. Look at verse 16. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded the same and made other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. Look at verse 19. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh. In my opinion, this Lord of the servants coming is the rapture of the Christian church. Look here, it says, and reckoneth with them. That reckoning, I believe, to be the judgment seat of the Christian. Now, um, uh, verse number 30, we'll look at it in a few minutes, presents uh, a difficult uh, difficulty to this. And uh, we'll look at that in a moment. I will add quickly that whatever opinion you have about Matthew 25, 14 through 30, verse, uh, verse 30 creates an obstacle no matter who you are, okay? Um, and if you have a different explanation, I would love to hear it. Uh, now, let me, if I could, uh, bring you in and just say that throughout the remainder of the sermon, I'd like for us to mentally jump ahead in time. Jump ahead in time to a place where we answer for our stewardship to God in heaven. There is a throne room in heaven. 
that is just as real as the room you are sitting in today. All by your lonesome, without your parents or your spouse or anyone else, you will stand before God one-on-one and you will give an account for your life. The Bible couldn't be any more clear about that. To the teenagers in the room, your parents will not be there with you. To the wives in the room, your husband will not be with you. To the husbands in the room, your wife won't be with you. It'll be you and God. And all of the excuses that you make for yourself, they just won't matter anymore. They just won't matter. It's going to be you and God. And He's going to want to know what you did for Him. I remember in college getting large projects at the beginning of the semester. And I was to have them done by the end of the semester. And early on, I got better at this as I went through college, but early on as a freshman and sophomore, I can remember on a number of occasions waiting until the last minute to begin the project. How many of you can relate with what I'm talking about? And you know what? Maybe it was high school for some of you, I don't know. You know what? I would stay up all night for a week, uh, the week leading up to and get very little sleep and be sleep deprived and delirious and and I would turn in a project at the end of the semester that was pathetic. Pathetic. And you know what? I'd get a grade back that was pathetic. I can remember walking into class. One time I had a project due. This is back before laptops and printers were as common as they were. And I had to go to the college library to print it out. And I got to the college library and the printer was broken. And I had my class in 10 minutes. And so I found a, a, a classmate that had a printer. And um, he let me go to his dorm room and print it out. But he was low on ink. And so I turned in a project with uh, discolored ink on it. And I got a grade that matched it. Uh, it was marked up red. It, it, was, it was bad. Um, I had waited to the last minute... And I remember walking into class, and, and you know what you're doing in that moment. You're making excuses. Well, if that printer in the library had not been broken, I would have had it printed out. It would have been fine. And it's the librarian's fault. It's not my fault that I waited the last minute. Some of you are that way on the way to work. Someone gets in front of you and says, Hey, man, cut me off. I wouldn't have been late to work. Yeah, if you'd have left 20 minutes earlier, it wouldn't have mattered. Right? Being honest, right? I'm guilty of it, too. Amen? good thing is um, I'm my own boss, so... I don't have to worry about uh, getting in trouble for being late to work. Amen. But I remember turning in, praise the Lord, well-timed, well-played. I I remember uh, turning in projects like that and then uh, walking in class in a huff. Other people would come walking into class, and they're just smiling. they got eight hours of sleep. They're peaceful. Their blood pressure is, you know, where it ought to be. And they walk up yawning, stretching, and just lay the project right on the teacher's desk. You know why? Because when the semester started, they got busy. They didn't wait. Christian, the end of our spiritual semester is coming. And our judge is not a teacher, it's God Almighty. 
And we will turn in the project of our service for Him. Don't wait to the last minute to get started. The remainder of the sermon, I'd like to put you, as best I can, in the presence of God. I'd like to put you in that judgment seat position. And I would like for you to consider the position that you'll land in. Point number two of the message. We saw the parallels in the parable. Number two, notice, the promotion of the faithful servants. The promotion of the faithful servants. I could spend um, weeks on this next uh, sub-point, but we'll just run over it real quick. I would encourage you to copy down what's on the screen if you want to do an in-depth study on your own. Notice letter A, their crowns. Their crowns. Earlier we looked at 1 Corinthians 3 and saw that our works will be turned into material form, gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. And those materials that are gold, silver, and precious stones will be turned into one of five crowns that we find listed in the New Testament. These crowns will be given to the saints who are labeled good and faithful servants. And so, without any explanation, let me just run over them quickly. Notice the crown of righteousness. We find that one in 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. We find the incorruptible crown in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. We find the martyr's crown in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 10. We find the soul winner's crown in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. And we find the crown of glory, and that one's for those who shepherd the church and do it well in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. And so those are the five crowns that a Christian can earn in his lifetime. And I have to say that I would love to stand before God and have him smile at me and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. And then watch him take my works materialize through a fire and then watch him uh, uh, put them in the form of crowns and hand me one, two, three, maybe even four of those crowns. I, personally, I'd like to pass on the martyr's crown. Amen? But if God calls us to that, we ought to be willing to do it. Amen? Amen? We ought to be willing to die for Christ if that's what He calls us to. But uh, what awaits the Christian who is diligent doing the work of the Lord? Boy, there are crowns in heaven that await him. Let her be notice their advancement. Their advancement. Look at Matthew chapter 25 and verse 21. Now verse 23 says the exact same thing. And so I'll read verse 21. It says, His Lord said unto him, Look here, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. Look here, I will make thee ruler over many things. Highlight, underline that in your Bible. I will, if you mark in your Bible, I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. What is this talking about? That God is going to make those who serve Him faithfully on this side of the rapture or this side of death. Uh, what does that mean? That God is going to make Him ruler over many things. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, we find uh, Paul instructing the saints of Corinth. We find him instructing them on, on why they should not sue each other at the law. All right, Why one Christian should not sue another Christian at the law. And listen what uh, Paul tells the church of Corinth here. He says, Do ye not know, listen here, that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye not, are ye not unworthy to judge the smallest matters? The saints shall judge the world. What is this talking about? 
Well, we know that, now follow the timeline here, and, and this again, this is my strong opinion, this is what Scripture teaches, the very next event on the calendar in, in heaven is the rapture. Uh, one day, Jesus is going to come, and the trump is going to blow, and those of, us which, those of us which have put our faith and trust in Christ will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we forever be with the Lord. And then, after that, the seven-year tribulation will get kicked off uh, by the Antichrist entering into the world. And while the Antichrist is doing his thing here the first three and a half years, the, judge, or the judgment seat of Christ will take place in heaven. Satan will be there to accuse us and... Jesus will be our lawyer defending us, and once that part of it is done, we'll move into having our works tried before God. And the purification of the bride of Christ, after three and a half years, Satan is thrown out of heaven. He comes down with the Antichrist, and he persecutes the Jews, and uh, uh, the abomination of desolation takes place. And at the end of the seven-year tribulation, where great uh, a fury and wrath has been poured out on the earth, Jesus Christ Himself comes down from heaven on a horse with the church, the bride of Christ, the saints, and we come down and we fight a battle with Satan against the enemies of God that, that's led by the Antichrist. And He wins that battle victoriously. And then He begins something called the Millennial Reign of Christ. What is that? On this planet right here, Jesus Christ will sit on a throne in Jerusalem and He will run what we call a theocracy. You know what a democracy is? He will run something called a theocracy. That is God ruling this earth, God ruling this earth from Jerusalem. Now watch this. There will still be nations on this planet. Who will be in charge of those planets or those, those uh, nations? The saints will be in charge of those nations. The church saints, and Revelation tells us, the tribulation saints. Now, I know for some of you this is a whole lot of information. I shared all that with you to get to this right here. If you don't understand anything else I said, hang your hat on the practical. God is going to take those Christians that serve Him faithfully, and He's going to promote them in His kingdom here on earth. They will help Jesus rule this earth for a thousand years. You take the responsibility that you've been given here on earth. Your money and your material items and your relationships and everything that you have. And you use those on this side of the rapture to build the kingdom of God. The One of the ways the Lord is going to promote you or award you is by advancing you in a leadership position of His kingdom. Boy, people will do anything for power. People will do anything to have more say. People will do anything to lead. And God will not only give you the position, He will equip you to do so. Boy, I don't know about you, but I want to be busy serving the Lord. I want to be busy loving on Him here. You say, Pastor, your motives are selfish. And you say, and I would say to some degree, you are right. I want to be busy building God's kingdom here because I want a position in His kingdom. I want crowns to be worn on my head and laid at His feet. I want to be honored by God. I want my Savior who died for me to look at me in the eye and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Are we busy serving the Lord? Are we busy being stewards of what He's given us? Or are we busy building our own kingdoms? Christian, are you serving the crowns, the advancement? We see the promotion of the faithful servant. Number three, notice the punishment of the faithless servant. The promotion of the faithless servant. Look back with me at Matthew chapter 25. Look at verse number 28. 
By the way, these next, two, these next three verses are written specifically to one-talent Christians that bury their talent in the earth and do nothing with it. Before we read the verses, can I say this to you? There are many five-talent Christians that bury their talents in the earth too, do nothing for God. There are four-talent and three-talent and two-talent Christians that do it as well. Some of you are so distracted, and I'm not trying to be unkind or mean, I'm trying to wake you up. Please understand the place this comes from. As the pastor of this church, if you call me your pastor, if you attend here regularly, I promise you, I preach this sermon not out of anger, I preach it with a broken heart. When I got through putting this sermon together, I bowed my head and I wept with tears coming down my cheeks because I realized the seriousness of this message. I realized the heaviness of this message. I don't preach this sermon at you. I preach this sermon for you. I don't preach this sermon to condemn you. I preach this sermon to encourage you to get up off of your laziness and get busy for the Lord because I would hate to stand there as your pastor on judgment day and see you walk out of the throne room of God with your head hung low and your heart broken and then you look at me and say pastor why didn't you push me a little harder pastor why didn't you encourage me a little bit more I preach this sermon because I want you to reach your full potential for the Lord Many Christians that attend this church have buried their talent. They're doing very, very, very little to build the kingdom of heaven. They're too busy building their own kingdom. And one day you're going to stand before God and He's going to look at you and say, Why? I died on the cross for you. I I sent my son rather to die for you. Why didn't you do more for me? I died for you. Couldn't have you lived for me? Look at verse 28. We see here what Jesus says to those servants that bury their talents. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. Notice the demotion here. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance for him that hath not, shall be taken away even that which he hath. Now, my whole Christian life, up until recently, I've had this thought that circulates in the back of my my mind. Okay, What if I were to quit serving God? I've I've given my life to Christian ministry. What if I were to resign the church and and just live a a secular life and live for me? So what of it? All right, I'm just being transparent with you this morning, okay? Hang on, because I think a lot of Christians are here. You know, I'll get to heaven and, you know, there will be that moment at the judgment seat where I've disappointed the Savior, and that's going to be tough. But, you know, um, I'll move on past it, and I'll still live in eternity all the same. And uh, really, what's the big deal? You know, I, I know it'll be tough for a little bit, but it'll all be okay. Now, let's be honest this morning. How many of the rest of you have had a similar thought? Would you raise your hand? How many of you have had a similar thought? If I were not to serve Jesus with my life, it'd be tough for a little bit, but at least I'd get into heaven. And that sure beats going to hell. Let's be honest. Let's be honest this morning. Can I tell you where that falls apart? Now, God's love is not on trial here. If God didn't love you, He'd take your salvation from you. God loves you. Amen? But do you know that for that thousand years that Jesus rules this earth, He's going to have taken the position He had planned for you away. He's going to give it to someone else. There's going to be a thousand years of regret. Ouch. 
Boy, we live a measly 70, 80, 90 years at most. And what you do for Jesus in this time span is going to determine your joy in that millennial reign. There's going to be a whole lot of American Christians who've been more concerned about being comfortable than being Christ-like. At that millennial reign, they walk around wishing that they had served Jesus. It's going to be a hard thousand years. And a thousand years is a long time. That's a long time. You say, well, pastor, is that it? I believe there's more. Now, theologically, doctrinally, the next part of the sermon is the shakiest part. And so I just want to be very clear here. This is a, this is a premise or a hypothetical that I'm going to share with you. I am not doctrinally saying that this is going to happen. I am supposing that what if that's what this passage means. Look at verse 30. Look at verse 30. Please don't take me apart here on this after church. If you disagree, me, disagree with me, it's okay. In fact, there will be a handful of you that probably do disagree with me. I love you all the same, and I hope you'll love me all the same. Look here. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mentioned earlier in the sermon that regardless of what opinion you have about this parable, verse 30 offers a difficult explanation. Boy, I've read a dozen commentaries on this. I've talked to a lot of people about it. Verse 30 seems to be a hard verse for people to stomach and swallow. And so in all of my studying and reading and and, and, and dissecting, I came up with various explanations that different theologians offer. I'll briefly offer some of them to you and share with you why I believe that these would be wrong. I think the church here would agree with me that these scenarios or hypotheses are wrong. Hypothesis one, as far as an explanation goes, they say this person is not saved. And I would say this is false. Verse 30 says he is an unprofitable servant. Jesus calls this man a servant. Notice that there is a responsibility assigned. And again, at the final judgment, or rather that first judgment, Christians will be uh, judged on their service. This is a man who's been called to serve, so clearly he is saved. Remember that once a person gets saved, they are no longer a servant or slave to sin, but rather a servant to Christ. This steward, in verse 30, is indeed saved. Scenario or hypothesis number two. This person is banished to some dark square in the New Jerusalem far from the throne. I would also say that this is false. Even if such a place did exist, and I don't believe that it does, that does not explain the weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is always in the Bible a description of hell. Scenario number three. This person lost their salvation. Also false. Listen closely. We should always explain the obscure by using the obvious. Scripture is crystal clear that once a person is saved, they are always saved. So then what in the world does verse 30 mean? I will admit that it is difficult. It is a difficult verse to understand. I don't know for certain. I have a great answer. But could it be that these unprofitable servants 
will be taken down and shown the people in hell that they were supposed to have witnessed to, but didn't? Is it possible that these servants who neglected their Christian duties are forced to look into the outer darkness and see those who are weeping and gnashing their teeth? Look back at verse 30. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, for contrast's sake, turn over to the last verse in the chapter. This, group, this is a group, different group of people. In fact, if you have a Bible with paragraph markers, verse 31 begins the third paragraph of the chapter and is talking about the nations. Look at verse 46. Notice the more precise language in this verse. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Now notice the precision of the wording there. These people are definitely going to go to hell. Now go back and look at verse 30. And cast ye, or send ye, the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Imagine that you have gone a thousand years living with regret that you failed to serve God with your life. Then God judges the lost, many which are your friends, or a few of which are your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, your relatives. You have to sit there and watch them get judged by God and then cast into hell because their name was not in that book. Then quite possibly God rounds up, uh, uh, rounds up you along with other faithless servants, unprofitable servants, and sends them to an observatory for a brief time to look in and see those, su- uh, those people suffer in the lake of fire. Now let me be clear, I am not preaching about purgatory. I do not believe in purgatory. Purgatory is a made-up Catholic doctrine that is not found in the Bible. I am not saying that these people are going to be cast in outer darkness forever. I'm not even saying it's going to be a long time. It may just be for a brief moment, but it very well may be that God takes you and you're an unprofitable servant and He makes you look into the lake of fire and see those that you should have witnessed to and failed to do so. Again, I'm not preaching this uh, emphatically. I'm not preaching this dogmatically. All of this very well may not be the case. But I do know this, that God will require the blood of those who died that you should have witnessed to. He will require it at your hand. Ezekiel chapter 33. Write this down or circle this off the back of your outline. I'm not going to take the time to read the verses right now. But boy, what I'm preaching sure seems to fit in line with what Ezekiel 33, 1-8 explains. It explains a watchman who saw an enemy approaching the city and did not warn of the impending danger. And the Bible says that if the watchman does not warn... Uh, warn the city of the impending danger. Those that die from the attack, the blood is on the watchman's hands. But if the watchman warns and the people do nothing, if the watchman blows the trumpet and the people do nothing then the blood is not on his hands, but just directly on the hands of those that did nothing about it. My friend, today I do not know whether or not there will be an observatory for us to look into hell and see those who die. I do not know that. I do not want to preach that emphatically, but I do think it is possible. And I I will say this, whether it's there or not, I sure don't want to get to heaven and have God look at me and label me slothful and wicked. I know this. I want to stand before God one day and say, I maybe didn't get everybody that you had for me, but boy, I sure shared my faith with everyone I could think of. 
I sure shared my faith with everyone I, 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 that, that, I, that, that, that you had in front of me. At least I gave it a good effort, Lord. Lord, you gave me these abilities. You gave me these gifts. You gave me this biblical knowledge. And I gave it back to you. I served you with my life. Christian, here's the question for you this morning. When you stand before God, mano y mano, one-on-one, I want you right now to look in your heart and ask yourself this question. Will He call me good and faithful or wicked and slothful? Some of you are already on the right path. Hey, let's make a commitment this morning. We're not going to get off. Some of you, boy, you've been building your own kingdom. Let's build His kingdom. When, Jesus, when God looks at me one day and says to me, What did you do for Jesus? I want to be able to point to people and say, all these folks are in heaven because I took what you gave me and I shared it. I want to be able to look at my wife and children and say, they became more like you because of what you gave me. I want to be able to look at this church and those in the church and say, Lord, I warned them. Lord, I told them. Lord, I preached your word. Lord, I was faithful. You walk a different walk than I walk. You run a different race than I do. God's not going to expect you to do what He expects me to do, nor is He going to expect me to do what He expects you to do. Let's not compare ourselves among ourselves. Amen? That's not wise. Are you running your race? Are you faithful? Let's bow our head and close our eyes this morning. How about it, Christian? Good and faithful? Wicked and slothful? There's no middle ground. You're either all in for God or you're not. Oh, this was a heavy sermon, but I hope it's a gut check for you. If you're here today and you've not made a decision to trust Christ, oh, please don't wait. God is love. He's so much love, He sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. You reject His love and you bring about His wrath. His love is passionate and so is His wrath. Oh, my friend, don't reject God's love or you'll have to experience His fury. Today, the invitation is simple. If you're here today and you've not put your faith and trust in Christ, you've not accepted His love in your life through the form of Jesus Christ, why don't you do that today? Do not leave this room without accepting Jesus as your Savior. To those of you that are saved, how about it this morning? Are you busy serving God or serving yourself? You're going to steward your things for His kingdom or yours? By the way, Christian, God's called us to do that through the local church. Lord, I pray you take the message and you'd work in hearts. Lord, I've done my part. I've given it my all. I've poured my energy out. I've poured my love out. I've preached with great passion. Lord, I can't convict and I can't change. Lord, you have to do that. Lord, I know you only do that if you have a willing heart. Lord, if revival is going to hit this church and hit this country, you're going to need some broken people. Break us this morning, Lord. Take our stubborn, obstinate hearts, the hearts of stone we have, the stiff necks we have, And Lord, just break us. Help us to 
lay it all on the altar for you. In Jesus' name we pray.